Okay, let's go over the grocery list one more time before you leave. All right, we've got carrots. Yes. Potatoes. Uh-huh. Milk. Mm-hmm. Eggs. Uh-huh. Oh, wait, what's this last one? Talk about comics? <laughs> yes. I'm Christina Edelman. And I'm Chris Edelman. And this is Chris's on Infinite Earths. The podcast where nothing will ever be the same. Welcome to Episode 8 of Chris's on Infinite Earths, covering Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah, so if you're just now joining us, I would recommend going back and listening to the seven previous episodes to this so that you can stay on track. Mm-hmm, because we are on Issue 8 of Crisis on Infinite Earths. So unless you're really familiar with Crisis, definitely go back and give a listen. Although this one's kind of a doozy in terms of even, like, people collecting it. It's a, it's kind of a big deal, as we'll see. Oh, kind of, kind of like us? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, kind of like <laughs> We're us. We're kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. <laughs> All right. So do we want to dive right into this week's summary? Yeah, let's dive into the summary. We begin our issue with Psycho Pirate confiding in the Flash his true fears of the Anti-Monitor, who promptly arrives back in his weird rocky spaceship wearing a fancy new outer suit. It turns out he still has plans to destroy the remaining Earths. After a couple quick interludes, we find Firehawk and Firestorm, who quickly join up with Vixen, Martian Manhunter, and Cyborg. Vixen has managed to capture T.O. Morrow, no, we know, it's ridiculous, the scientist who created Red Tornado. They want him to fix the poor hero, who, if you remember, was used as a weapon by the Anti-Monitor. The Atom is already miniaturized inside of Red Tornado and declares that the science contained within is beyond the scope of his knowledge. Dr. T.O. Morrow also says that these insides are unfamiliar to him. Yeah, that sentence ended up being way stranger than I thought. John Stewart picks up the superhero Blue Devil, saying that the Blue Hero's knowledge of biosuits might help them out. They join everyone else on the satellite before Red Tornado suddenly explodes in a huge fiery boom. In the chaos, T.O. Morrow manages to escape, while Blue Devil is accidentally teleported to the Vega system, where he really stops mattering to the scope of this issue. On his strange, rocky base near the planet of Quard, the Anti-Monitor directs construction of a huge antimatter cannon, accompanied by Psycho Pirate and the captive Flash. The Flash manages to break free of his kinda goopy prison and beat the ever-living heck out of Psycho Pirate and makes him promise to help. The Flash zips between Anti-Monitor's thunderers, and Psycho Pirate fills each one with hatred for the Anti-Monitor. The thunderers rebel unwittingly against their master, which gives the Flash time to destroy the Anti-Monitor's cannon by running very quickly around it and directing the Anti-Matter energies into the machine. However, he does so at the cost of his own life. The Anti-Monitor, in a rage, decides to gain power by consuming portions of his own universe. He then prepares to send this power hurtling towards the remaining Earths. Back on Earth-1, on Challenger Mountain, the Challengers of the Unknown detect a noise as if the entire universe is screaming. This screaming is in fact coming from outside the universe, as the Spectra screams in rage and anguish at the futility of the situation. 
All right, Christy, what did you think of this issue? It really, it, it seemed like it, there was a lot in it that was not really related to the overall progress of the storyline. Right. The, the, the A plot, I would say, is definitely the Flash in this issue. Yes. And there's like a B and a C and a D and like a couple steps down from that plot as well. And this was very much parts of this were like, hey, I hope you're reading some of the tie-ins. Yes. Parts of this definitely seemed like a commercial for other DC comics. Yeah. Which you, you expect some in a crossover. Well, actually, that's... I think, it, like, I always expect it in crossovers, especially these days. It's like everything ties in, which that's its own sort of frustration. Right. Because you... you you want a little bit, kind of an, your own standalone story that you can enjoy, but then you feel like, oh, I've got to go purchase all these other things and read all this other stuff. Have I ever told you that the first Marvel crossover that was coming out and the first crossover I bought, I bought literally every single tie-in? Oh, you're so cute. <laughs> it was so unnecessary. <laughs> I think I spent 60 bucks one week, one week, one week on comics. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Definitely a teenager with disposable income. Yeah, a teenager. Definitely not like a 20-something. So uh, should we just dive right into this comic? Yeah, the cover. So pretty intense looking. At first when I looked at this cover, I thought, oh my gosh, the Flash kills Psycho Pirate. <laughs> it does kind of look that way. And is clearly facing off against someone in boots who is definitely supposed to be the anti-monitor. Yeah, so the the shot here is between the legs. It's a through-the-leg shot yeah. of Flash uh, standing over a very battered psycho pirate who's kind of still somewhat holding him just so he's hovering just above the ground. Right, and he looks mad. Barry Allen looks pretty pissed off here. And at first glance... I don't even know that it's super clear that it's a between-the-leg shot until you kind of look up in the upper right and left-hand corners and see, oh, that's not like a cave or something. That That's a through-the-leg shot. Right. It kind of looks like an archway if you're not really paying close attention. It's an interesting cover. I think it's good work of art there. Yeah, not maybe not quite as iconic as the last issue's cover of Superman well, holding Supergirl. Yeah, that's hard to beat. Hard to top. Well, so we uh, start our comic with a big splash page with just a few panels up, up top of it. Um, mm -hmm. They're on the anti-monitor spaceship, which is literally just a bunch of rocks with like a with like a thruster. It looks like an asteroid. Just... Yeah, it, like a bunch, like just a bunch of asteroids. And the flash is suspended via, uh, via this goop, like it's like a prison that's kind of keeping him motionless and almost in like a crucifix kind of position. Mm-hmm. Except his legs are also spread. Right. So kind of like spread eagled, but kept he's a, aloft. He's a big X. Yeah. Which they they did crucifixes in a big X. This is this is where our uh, our our knowledge of Catholicism comes through due to our schooling. <laughs> <laughs> and we have in the bottom uh, left hand corner there, Psycho Pirate, seeming to have a bit of an existential crisis, somewhat. Yeah, he uh, definitely is terrified of the anti-monitor now in, in true henchperson fashion. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is, like, he definitely is talking to the Flash, and the Flash seems to really not care. Right. Well, the Flash has been, like, suspended in this goop kind of prison for a while now, for the majority of the comic. 
Yeah, he was literally just taken out due to his ability to easily move between universes. Right, right. I also just kind of think the way that the antimatter is depicted is just kind of fun. It's kind of Kirby dots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like like clusters of pink Kirby dots on a, on a light blue background. You might even call it periwinkle. You might. <laughs> All right. As we flip to the next page, it looks like Psycho Pirate is even maybe thinking about conspiring against the Mm Anti-Monitor with the Flash. It's like, well, maybe if Flash helps me, we can escape the Anti-Monitor. Right. But guess who was listening? Yeah, definitely the Anti-Monitor, who is in a new suit, which looks way dumber than the last suit. He looks like a giant cockroach with arms and legs. I thought he kind of looked like a shark. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's much better than mine. He's got like a kind of torpedo head thing going on. Mm-hmm. He has like no neck. Like when you imagine somebody who's pumped like way too much iron and their their neck just slopes into like it's so big and massive and it just slopes into their shoulders and they're, they're, there's hardly any neck or shoulders there. Yeah, that's the anti-monitor. Like there's no way he can turn his head. No. So he's got no, hardly any peripheral, can't turn his head. Right. It seems like a terrible suit for combat. It does. He still has uh, his fun whale teeth, though. Yeah. Yep. Fun is a word for him. I love his whale teeth. They're so weird. Mm-hmm. And uh, then lots of sorts of tubes and everything going in between all of his bits and bobs for whatever reason. Because you need tubes. Because machines. Bad guys need tubes. Tubes. Um, So he shows up and basically tells Psycho Pirate that he really doesn't care that he's conspiring against him and uh, says that he still may require his talents. He seems to think, like, just not even think of Psycho Pirate as even close to a threat. Right, right. He's like, Psycho Pirate is simply a tool to be used. Right, and he uh, reveals that the next part of their plan is going to be landing on Quard, and from there they will destroy the remaining Earths. Mm-hmm. So next we get a, a page interlude. Where we go to the other dimensional world of Apocalypse. Yep. This is Apocalypse from Jack Kirby's The Fourth World. So the whole deal with The Fourth World is there's two planets called New Genesis and Apocalypse, and all the bad people are on Apocalypse, and all the good people are on New Genesis. It's so wonderfully black and white for you. Well, it it gets more there's complicated no, than There's that. no middle world. For there, for the for the in between there us. there isn't but the whole big plot is like at one point the two leaders exchange sons as like a treaty thing and it's supposed to show like the guy who who runs New Genesis who I'm gonna get yelled at about this but I think his name's High Father takes Darkseid the leader of Apocalypse's kid and raises him like as his own and like treats him very well mm-hmm. and uh, meanwhile like Darkseid imprisons High Father's kid and like mistreats him and stuff and it's it's kind of a nature versus nurture sort of deal and mm-hmm. it, it sounds like just something straight out of the history books aside from the superpowers and other dimension yeah it's very like strange and spacey well anyway in terms of this the guy in the purple hood is is a guy named desad who is talking to dark side who dark side is the the sort of gray person in blue mm-hmm. and i imagine desad just having like an igor voice here. he looks very igor here for sure Mm-hmm. The whole deal is Desaad is talking to Darkseid about the Anti-Monitor and what should we do to stop him. And Darkseid basically says, like, we are going to do absolutely nothing. 
if the heroes win, then we're back to our status quo, which is totally fine. No, no, this is not a, a direct quote. I can't imagine Darkseid saying things like this. <laughs> but if the Anti-Monitor wins, then he'll be worn down from fighting all the heroes. So either way, mm-hmm. Apocalypse wins. That seems like it's got to be something straight from the art of war. <laughs> Possibly. Let let your enemies fight each other, and then you come in and you you, you just clean up afterwards. Right. And it's, like then that page kind of ends. It was just a real quick interlude. Although it does show something interesting and in that Darkseid is not one of the super villains that has joined the 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 Brainiac crew. Mm-hmm. But it makes sense cuz Darkseid is is like he's like a a force that's sort of greater than than those sorts of petty schemes. Mhm. There's a part in a comic where Darkseid just says Darkseid is and like that's the whole sentence, and it totally describes him. <laughs> so a little little interlude there, one of those little bits where I feel like they're just like, hey, I mean, it, it, there's no like direct tie-in. It doesn't say see this issue for more, but I feel like it's just one of those. Oh yeah, we have these characters, right? It's it's one of those like snapshot of this part of the DC universe. Mm-hmm. So then we go to Oa. Yep, which, if you guys remember, is the home of the Guardians of the Universe and also the headquarters of the Green Lantern Corps. Mm-hmm. And we've got a bunch of the Green Lantern Corps there confronting the Guardians, who are now out of their prison. Right. They explain by saying that they were freed when the merging of the universes and the Earths ended. Right. But they, they're kind of, like, stuck on what to do. Right. The, the, the Green Lantern Corps is kind of up, upset because they're like, why weren't we called to fight before this? If you guys knew about the Anti-Monitor and all this, why weren't we called in to fight before? You guys are supposed to know, like, everything, right? Right. And then they were kind of jerks and said... Basically, it sounded like bureaucracy got in the way. Right. And it's like, well, you don't get to decide. We get to pick. And then a couple of the Guardians... The Guardians are somewhat nameless. Mm-hmm. Kind of just argue about their votes, and uh, you know we have to abide by the council's decision. And then one of the other guardians says, "Maybe like perhaps I will, perhaps I won't." Right. So they they definitely seem like they're a lot of talk and not a lot of action. I I don't like the guardians in general. I mean, there's there's like later there are certain named guardians who are kind of interesting, but they're mm-hmm. they're kind of awful. <laughs> Well, we know the Guardians gave us gave us the Anti-Monitor, and we know they are to blame. Yeah. They actually, they're the cause of most of their problems, it seems like. Mm-hmm. I mean... Kind of like, like humans. Yeah, very true. <laughs> it's like if, if humans ruled the universe instead of just the Earth. Right. Like, <laughs> perhaps, a, perhaps an eventuality of oh, what we would become. Yeah. I'm really not looking forward to be a balding blue man. <laughs> Sorry, Christy. It's just it's just everyone's destiny. We all end up a balding blue man. So then we seem like we're finally to the start of the comic. Like we've had some little yeah snippets of other scenes. We actually get like the the title page here. A flash of the lightning is the title of this issue, right? Which. Flash is italicized. A flash. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, we'll we'll of course find out. 
And we go to Earth One in the 30th century. Right, where the uh, Legion of Superheroes is, is having a little conference as Brainiac 5 sits at an elevated computer and is uh, looking at some data. Mm-hmm. And they have noticed that the merging of the Earths has stopped. But there is some overlap. Yes. And that's where those time the time weirdness is happening. Mm-hmm. And Brainiac 5 seems really, really intent on figuring this out. Well, he was... Uh, it's explained how close he was to Supergirl, and her death has really broken him up. Right. They want to help him, but because uh, they th- they think he's overworking himself. Yeah, he's trying to find out how to repair the time distortions. Which, you know, I never understand how they figure out things in comics. Their explanations for things it never make sense to me anyway. So oh, yeah, it's all like hand-wavy babble. But I feel like fun. if I were ever like thrown into a comic. What comic would you be thrown into? Well... I mean, I mean, just like Gwenpool style. Like if I was pulled oh. into a comic, I would just make up random scientific babble to explain how I was going to fix a problem. And then it would just work. That's probably true. Mm-hmm. I'd be really smart in comics. Uh, readers who don't read Gwenpool like we do, she knows she's in a comic. Mm-hmm. And uh, kind of like Deadpool used to. Well, Deadpool still sort of does, but... She knows she's in a comic. She knows all of the heroes and villains uh, of her comic universe. Yeah, she takes it like a step further. It's basically like if a comic reader was in a comic. Yeah. So she'll be. She's like, oh, you're just a. You're like you're just a uh, like a side character and. Mm-hmm. Like, or like I know I'm gonna be okay because this is definitely my issue. Right. Like, <laughs> like I'm I'm the main hero. I'll be fine. So then we go back to Earth One in the twentieth century. Right, where Firestorm meets up with Firehawk, who is a lady superhero who totally seems like she has Firestorm powers, but she actually just kind of has more, like, fire-y powers. Mm-hmm. And they have some fiery conversation. Oh, that's good. <laughs> um, they kind of flirt with each other. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's a little uncomfortable, like, awkward, but I yeah, mean... Yeah, she calls him lover. Hi, lover. How's it going? Right. I do kind of enjoy her little thought bubble as she sees him. She says, oh, and there's my favorite. Uh, And I don't say this in our podcast because we're We're a family comic. So there's my favorite, Jack. Bleep. Now. (laughs) Don't bleep over your own saying bleep. It it must stay in there. (laughs) Yeah. So she, she kind of is wondering about where Killer Frost is. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, I thought you guys were an item. He's like, cut it out. You know the psycho pirate just made her love me. Right. Can I help it if I'm irresistible? irresistible. <laughs> yeah. And Killer Frost isn't here. She is with the other villains. Yeah, which... Did we really see that clearly happen at any point, or is she just suddenly gone? Like, I remember her not being in love with him, but... I don't really remember her vanishing. No, I don't. But I that's like that's where all the villains are for right, the most part. So. Right. Then Firestorm is getting a call from Vixen, who is um, another superhero. <laughs> There's so many superheroes. Yep. Got to get them all in. Right. We have a message that T.O. Morrow has been found. The man who originally designed Red Tornado's body. Right. He is a bad guy. Yeah. Even though he made the red tornado, he is a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, if we wanted any more on Vixen, she has power. She can 
take animal powers. That's kind of her deal. Mm-hmm. And she has hair that looks a little bit like Wolverine. Uh, yeah. If Wolverine was a, like was Wolverine. had like kind of reddish hair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think her hair is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, would, because you love Wolverine. I mean, not as much as Cyclops. <laughs> she threatens the ever-loving heck out of him, and he looks terrified, and it's kind of great. Mm-hmm. But the reason uh, she called in to Firestorm was she needed a transport to the JLA satellite. Right, which has been somewhat outside of use when the JLA was working out of Detroit. And it's still really beat up because it apparently got nearly destroyed. But I guess parts of it are still airtight because they totally go to it and are working on it. Now, this is where Alexander Luther was sent, wasn't it? And the monitor picked him up. Sent to a satellite. I thought it was the monitor satellite because he was no. In the he was bubble. sent to because Lex Luthor knew that the JLA would take care of. Oh, and right. Then he just scooped him away. Mm-hmm. That seems like a weird plot detail that they added in. Doesn't seem necessary. Well, it was at the beginning. He was like, "I want to send him to the heroes," and I know the satellite would be a right, good place right. to get him to, to there. Not realizing it had been abandoned. Oh, that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. You have such a good memory, Christy. Sometimes. Sometimes. Selectively good at a few things. (laughs) JLA satellite related good memory. (laughs) So the three heroes, Vixen, Firestorm, and Firehawk, Mm -hmm. um, are joined by Martian Manhunter Mm -hmm. and Cyborg, who is already there. And they're working on Red Tornado. Mm -hmm. And Firestorm can't believe that Martian Manhunter is not cold because I don't know if you've ever seen his costume, but there's not much to it. Trunks and like straps and boots and a cape. Hey, dude, I'm, I'm from Mars. It's cold there. We don't get cold. Right. And he's got, like, shape-shifty powers. Um, oh. Martian Manhunter's weakness is also fire. Yeah, which right. is going to come up here in just a moment. Well, it's interesting because he, he's like Superman if he had, like, a way more common weakness. Right. Yeah. So Cyborg, even though he knows a lot about computers and stuff, cannot even fathom red tornado right now mm-hmm. and cyborg's you know part robot himself so yeah you, he's you... got more of a passing knowledge of robot stuff mm-hmm. firehawk specifically addresses martian manhunter and says that she'll she'll try to tone it down and he's like even so i would like to stay very far away from you <laughs> yeah so then we we join the atom so i i did research this time what, what oh. is it? i know the atom right now his whole storyline is that he is like staying six inches tall and living in South America with like a like a group of like people who are also six inches tall, and he has like sword and sorcery style adventures. That sounds fantastic. That's why he has that sword and kind of like the strange outfit with the Yeah, he's got some interesting medallions and right. gauntlets. He's having like some Conan style six inches tall adventures. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now he's adventuring inside Red Tornado that looks, and the his insides look all weird and alien. Mm-hmm. We even have our first official little see this other issue, see Adam special number two. Right, because um, he threw away his size reducing belt in the Adam special two. I don't think Adam special two is being produced necessarily concurrently with this comic. Mm-hmm. I think it was just saying like, hey, go buy this if you want to know why he threw away his size belt. Mm-hmm. So he's using Superman's reducing ray. Which I guess they asked him off screen. Seems kind of hand wavy to me just to be like, hey, this is why he's small again. Mm-hmm. Even Ray Palmer, the Atom, cannot fathom this sort of weird science. Mm-hmm. T.O. Morrow is like, 
Yeah, because I build them really good. Be- being really smug, like, of course you guys don't understand my brilliance. Right, but then the Adam shows the them video of what he is seeing, and even then T.O. Morrow is cannot fathom. He's like, well, that's not what I did. Right. So it's pretty clear that the Anti-Monitor has internally changed Red Tornado in like mm-hmm. a huge way. Right. And even Professor Stein... Inside Firestorm's head... It's like, no, we we can't ha- we can't help him. Right. John Stewart, Green Lantern, decides he's going to try to find yes. someone to help him. Mm-hmm. We're in Los Angeles now. Right. Off the satellite. Yes. So he flies to L.A. to find Blue Devil, who is just kind of sunbathing and goes, wait, I thought this whole crisis thing is over. No, Blue Devil. We definitely have four more issues of it. <laughs> He's just lounging in some trunks on the beach, just getting some sun. Now, when Blue Devil tans, what happens? Does he get, like, darker blue? Well, it, the, his That's like a suit that's bonded to his skin. So, probably not. I think he's just chilling. Hmm. So, even his suit has nipples. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> okay. Well, they, they can't, John Stewart, in this case, is telling him to come because he has knowledge of biosuits. Right. Yes, that make that makes sense. I'm just I'm just remarking on him sunbathing. If like, what, what's what's the point? I, I mean, mean, I guess I, I guess don't everybody want a likes tan, but I definitely like sitting on a beach. That's true. Yep, that's true. And it is a very like he he's got the whole beach to himself, so it sounds pretty idyllic. Yeah, definitely. He comes with John Stewart up onto the satellite. Where he just like quickly joins Tio Morrow, who is looking inside Red Tornado. Blue Devil notices that something is wrong. Mm-hmm. And Tio Morrow's like, "Well, I'm just going to take Red Tornado's head off." Well, that's actually a terrible idea. Which Blue Devil points out, <laughs> right? And the atom starts growing and like leaps outside of Red Tornado before his entire body explodes in this like fiery inferno red tornado's body not the atoms right yeah the atom uh, as far as we know is fine Mm -hmm. um and everybody else seems fine too Mm -hmm. they get everybody clear of the explosion including martian manhunter who is hurt but is not like you know not dead or anything and then oh yeah we get the moment where firehawk says that she has a small problem so firehawk has fire powers yep Mm mm-hmm so you would think any superhero with fire powers would have a flame retardant suit. Nope, not hers. Although she seems to be impervious to flame. Yes, but not her suit. Which it, gets burned away. <laughs> it is burned away. It is hanging on by tatters on her body. And she has this sort of awful little, like, you know, don't look. I know you wouldn't care, but a girl does have to look presentable. Like... Don't look over here, but, I mean, you could, but I'm naked. Uh, A dude wrote this? Can you tell? Yeah, I sure can. Well, the entire thing seems to just be an excuse for a new costume that she gets on the next page. Which, can I say, I really don't like. It looks like she has some sort of, like, wolf on one breast, howling at the moon on another breast. I don't know what it's supposed to be, but some sort of... A hawk. Because she's Firehawk. Well, that makes sense, but that doesn't look like a hawk. Well, yeah. Regardless, it just reminds me of, like, one of those wolf hauling at the moon shirts. Yeah, it's a it's a three-hawk moon shirt. <laughs> if we ever get merch, can we have a three-hawk moon shirt? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I like in this panel, too, Firestorm has created water using his molecular powers to sort of uh, 
like cool off Martian Manhunter. Yeah, it's kind of like a safety shower in a lab. Mm-hmm. I work in labs, so I safety shower jokes are very much my brand. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, her hair's blue now. She's got blue fire. Yeah, instead of kind of the red fire that she had before. So this was kind of an excuse to give her a makeover, I guess. I'm just not very happy with the execution or really the outcome of her makeover. Well, okay. I I don't know if I have an opinion one way or the other on the suit, but the whole like, oh, nudity thing was kind of silly. Not not to say that there's there's no problem with nudity, but the way that this in this comic, it would be weird. But the way it was portrayed was very like cheesecakey. Yes absolutely right so they they kind of decide that they need to get the heck off of the jla satellite which has already been beat to heck and it's just getting more and more beat to heck by this giant explosion but uh blue devil uh notices the t.o Morrow starts to run off and is gonna chase after him while calling him a turkey mm-hmm. wait a second you turkey <laughs> he's like where where do you think you're gonna go we're on a satellite in space right but then he vanishes much like all of the other villains But Mm -hmm. then Blue Devil gets sucked through a portal that just sort of randomly appears. Actually, it seems to be the same portal that grabbed T.O. Morrow, but I think it just takes him to a different spot. Right. He's like, well, I guess I got to go through this or around this or something to find him. But it sucks him in. Mm hmm. And the rest of the heroes notice that Blue Devil's gone and Green Lantern's like, well, I I can tell that he's not here from my, my ring. Right. So if he's not here, he's probably safe. So let's get out of here. Yeah, so they, they're all going to book it. So then Blue Devil shows up in the Vagan system on a starship with the Omega Men, who are... This is not a direct analogy, but I would say they're kind of DC's Guardians of the Galaxy. They seem like a, a wacky band of space-adventuring heroes, so sure. Right. And honestly, like... It kind of doesn't matter for the rest of this comic. It apparently gets resolved in the Blue Devil series. Right. This is this is basically like, go read this run. Right. Although the, the time warp that Blue Devil came from is disintegrating the Omega Men ship. And kind of get, there's this weird sort of swirling thing where they're swirling through space, which I feel like would, would probably just kill you. You would think, but comics. Right. It has a fun cliffhanger, though, of Blue Devil saying, Pal, I don't even know who you, whatever you call yourselves are. How do I get any of these fixes? And more important, how in blazes do I get out? See Blue Devil number 18 for the answer. We can't wait. But instead, (laughs) we're just going to turn the page and get back to crisis. Yes. So then we are back in the antimatter universe, seeing the anti-monitor looking out over his base of operations. Right. Where it narrates that the antimatter universe stretches on for more than 32 zillion light years. Fun fact, zillion's not a real number. (laughs) These are 53 million worlds, more than 2 million containing sentient life. So, and at the center of the antimatter universe is the world of Quard, which is where they are. Although, it looked to me like they were still kind of in space, but I guess they are, in fact, on a planet. So, I may have said that. A planet with, like, not really any atmosphere because you're just straight seeing all of this antimatter stuff floating around except it's it's the pink kirby dots on a black 
background. Right. That's just kind of the space of the antimatter universe. Mm-hmm. So or I'm, when I wrote the summary, I was maybe wrong in that I thought they were around Cord. They might be on Cord. But I've read comics where people are on Cord and it didn't look like this. But whatever. Yeah, it could be a, a little like satellite of Cord. It's, it's not because it really doesn't look planet like at all. No. But, you know, it, it kind of looks weird and alien. And it looks like the Anti-Monitor's Thunderers, the, the, the people from Cord that he has sort of uh, put under his thrall, are building a giant machine of some sort. Right. Well, they're not building it. The Thunderers aren't building it so much as their slaves are building it. That's right. The Thunderers are kind of like the slave masters in this case. They are overseeing. Mm-hmm. And this, this machine is an antimatter cannon. Right. And it looks pretty massive. It looks kind of like they're building a giant space volcano. Right. Which they are going to use to destroy the remaining five prime universes. The the positive mm-hmm. matter universes. Yes. So the Thunderers are basically kind of whipping their slaves with sort of lightning energy matter or something. Literally like lightning bolts, like as if they are Zeus. Mm-hmm. And they kill one of the dudes who quits working and is like, everybody has to work harder. Which it's funny because there's, there's these series of panels. It's like, man, these Thunderers are bad dudes. Like, we didn't know that already. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, the Thunderers are bad dudes and they make... Well, I don't know if we've seen the Thunderers in Crisis yet. Other than the flashback where it says the Anti-Monitor right. made the Thunderers. So, I don't know. We, maybe they were. we could have assumed they were good. I did not assume that. Right, but you have to see the depths of their nastiness. Right. And how and how the anti-monitor runs things. It's not great. Yeah, the anti-monitor is not just like a good dude who wants to destroy universes. He is a bad dude who wants to destroy universes. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Um, so it looks like the anti-monitor has also brought along the Flash and Psycho Pirate. The Flash is still hanging from his crazy goop stuff. Mm-hmm. And... You kind of wonder at this point, why has the Anti-Monitor even kept the Flash alive if he's such a threat and he plans to destroy his universe anyway? I don't know. The Anti-Monitor seems kind of weird about killing people that aren't just the Monitor. Yeah, but not weird about, like, destroying entire Entire universes. universes. I don't know. I don't know why he's keeping the Flash alive. Maybe he thinks that he'll be able to control him for something. I don't know. But, uh... it's kind of important that he is. So, right, especially for the rest of this comic. Mm-hmm. So, Flash is in his constraining jail, and uh, Psycho Pirate shows up, kind of to, to taunt mock him. him. Yeah. yeah, which is an interesting juxtaposition of what the Psycho Pirate was doing the last time he was talking with the Flash, He's which was like... basically wallowing in despair and considering teaming up with him against the anti-monitor right using him as a uh, as a somewhat un- well a completely unwilling therapist mm-hmm so psycho pirate goes so far as to say look me in the eye so I can turn you into a fearful crybaby but then the flash breaks out by spinning around super fast and telling the psycho pirate to eat jello right so the flash spins really fast and kind of disintegrates the constraining gel. Mm-hmm. Which I guess is where the jello comes from. Yeah. But I just like to imagine that it's just like a like a taunt. This is time not the to first eat time. jello. <laughs> yeah, when Barry Allen just runs around like beating up like the his his rogues and stuff, like Captain Cold, and he's just telling him to eat jello all the time. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's just his deal. Well, he does start off with a with a nasty right hook to Psycho Pirate. And he explains that he's been slowly increasing his inner vibrations to simply slip through the gelatin jail. God, that's some that's some good alliteration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty into that. So And we have another turkey line here too. Yeah, I think Marv Wolfman really likes turkey as an insult because I don't think this is the first the first like issue where they've called people turkeys man i wish we'd done a count i just don't think i'd count a turkey count yeah so the flash yeah calls him a turkey and gives him another whop well not 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 psycho pirate pirate, but he calls a thunderer a turkey your thundering days are over right he thunders no longer he is an ex-thunderer mm-hmm so, Psycho Pirate gets the Flash to look at him and tries to control his emotions, but the Flash fight b- fights back. Yeah, he manages to sort of, even though it hurts, break through the controlling powers of the Psycho Pirate. And uh, gives Does him... so in a rage. Yeah, and he just smacks him and beats him up a bunch with his supersonic fists. Mm-hmm. He says he'll show him what hate is all about. He also says, I was convicted once of a murder I didn't commit. What difference would it make if I committed it now? Yeah. Whoa, Barry. Flash has gone to the brink. Right. So we see Psycho Pirate beat up, kind of has a lavender-colored black eye. Yeah. Which, as somebody who does stage makeup and just has really analyzed a lot of black eyes, that's really not a satisfactory black eye to me. I'm sorry. I mean... I, I don't know if, if comics coloring was quite as sophisticated as it was now. No, no, definitely that probably would have been hard to depict. So I will I will forgive it. Yep. We can just look at the good pencils in that, that panel. Ugh. Yeah. George, yeah. George Perez, just always good. Wonderful pencils. Yep. But the Flash says, you know what? I won't kill you. I have, have a use for you and you're going you're gonna to really have fun with this one. Mm-hmm. So, meanwhile, back to the Thunderers, whipping and being terrible slave masters. And there's a panel of, like, very quick, like, flash of the Psycho Pirate looking sort of angry. Mm-hmm. Kind of an interesting sort of face. It looks like what you see drawn when the Flash is moving very fast. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we can we can infer what is going on here. Right. No, now the Thunderer has been taken over by Psycho Pirate and is filled with murderous rage for the, the Anti-Monitor. Anti-Monitor. And uh, the Anti-Monitor can kind of sense this, but not before the Thunderer throws his lightning bolt and yells death to the Monitor. Mm-hmm. And I, I love the Anti-Monitor's response of, like, these bold big letters, What madness has taken root here? I don't know. Uh, in retaliation, the anti-monitor disintegrates that particular thunderer. Mm-hmm. And another thunderer is like, "Hey, what's going on? Why did the mon? Or why did now they call him the monitor?" Well, because to them not- he is the monitor. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, when he was introduced at first, he was called the monitor. Right. He said, "Like, hey, I'm, I'm the, monitor. the monitor." Yeah. Which, to his universe, you know, it's all about points of view. Mm-hmm. So this guy wonders why the monitor killed Thoan. Oh, that poor Thunderer had a name. The Pathos. <laughs> he was just like... Thoan! Killing slaves. Like two pages ago. He went out like a hero. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm kidding. He's awful. So then the Flash zips by 
with Psycho Pirate again. Basically, he's kind of like Medusa-ing Psycho Pirate, but instead of having the Medusa head to turn people to stone, he has Psycho Pirate's face to make people really angry. Right. So Psycho Pirate's complaining to Flash about it, like, hey, you're making my head hurt. And he's like, well, if you don't want a permanent cure for that headache, you're going to do what I tell you. Yeah, Barry Allen's being being real, real murdery in this mm-hmm. issue. So we see, like, after that, like, even four more Thunderers all being manipulated by Psycho Pirate. Right. There's kind of a fun George Perez sequence where between the panels is is a Thunderer saying, Death to the Monitor! Mm-hmm. And these weird little snapshots of Psycho Pirate's face. I know you said it looked like he was mad, but this just looks like a weird surprise winky face. Well, <laughs> yeah, I think he's supposed to be angry. Yeah, maybe. But by the end, the last Thunderer is just screaming in bright red block letters, death to the monitor. Right. And so they are all hurling their lightning bolts at the monitor, or at the anti-monitor mm-hmm. in the, on the next page. And he, he doesn't really seem like it's destroying him or anything, but it's definitely not great for him. Right. It's, uh, it's enough to distract him, which is what a Flash needs. He kind of decks psycho pirate and then zips toward the anti or the antimatter cannon to see if he can destroy it right and psycho pirate's like hold on hold on you gotta save me though because the the anti-monitor is gonna be real mad at me and barry just punches him in the face and says too bad yeah (laughs) there we go (laughs) so Flash starts running, and as he's running, he's saying to Psycho Pirate, you helped him destroy universes. You deserve everything that you're going to get and more. Mm-hmm. And he, he he's like, well, if I can take apart this cannon, I can maybe still save the universe. So running real, real fast. Because <laughs> that's, that's what Barry does yeah. to destroy things. That's, that's pretty much all he does. So he kind of enters the the area of this antimatter cannon and kind of figures it out real quick, which is it's all concentrated antimatter as the cannon's power source. And it's kind of draining his energy. I'm assuming because he is a being made of positive matter. Mm-hmm. And so he knows he doesn't have long because it is affecting him. Right. And he says he knows what's going to happen to him if he's successful. Yeah. So Barry's Barry knows he's going to die. But right. he's got to do it anyway. Which is kind of Supergirl's situation yep. from our last issue. Like, these these heroes knowingly putting their lives on the line. Sacrificing their lives for the greater good. Right. So, Barry starts running around this concentrated antimatter. Even though it's constantly draining his energy and he feels like it's he's moving slower and slower. But by running around it a bunch, it is somehow forcing the energies of the machine back in on itself. Mm-hmm. And he starts to think about all the people he loves. Mm-hmm. Uh, his mom and his dad and Iris, Fiona, Wally, Dexter, Ralph, Sue, Hal. Mm-hmm. Lots, of, lots of folks. Got a lot of love in his life. Yep. And... Meanwhile, while Barry Allen is doing that, we see the anti-monitor getting mad at his thunderers, of course. Just just having a bad day. He looks real beat up. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you idiots can't... Or he calls them the fools. You fools, don't you feel the disturbance? The anti-matter cannon has been tampered with. And he blows them all back. I don't know if he 
destroys them like he did the first one. But Yeah. Oh, no, no. No, definitely destroyed. We can see a flaming skull on the next page. Oh, yep. We sure can. And the energy is escaping from the cannon, which means that the power is all gone. Mm-hmm. But Barry keeps running, and now we kindly, kind of finally go full circle. Mm-hmm. So it shows all of the times in the earlier issues of Crisis where he sees people, or where they saw Barry, because he's mm-hmm. running so fast that he is going back in time. Right, so he sees Wally mm-hmm. first. He sees Wally, and then the Joker and Batman mm-hmm. in that one bit. And he's like... And this hap- yeah, it seems like his face is melting. Yeah, he, I mean, he, like, disintegrates. On on the following page, he he says as he, like, turns into, like, skeleton and then, like, nothing. There's always hope. There is always hope. Time to save the world. Time. Back in time. Do what you have to. We must save the world. We must save the world. And what's cool is it even has this, like, cascading series of panels going into the time stream of the cannon explosion. Mm-hmm. It is such a neat way to deal with the comics medium. Yep. You know, George Perez does good stuff. Does good work. Although that's that's it for Barry. Yeah. Barry Allen it like stays dead for like t- 20 years. Like real time. Real time 20 years. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately in this issue, like he doesn't get a eulogy. He doesn't get a celebration like Supergirl. No, that's the I don't kind know of the if point there's is one like that's coming, but like he yeah, he made the sacrifice that with, nobody knows. Like, by about. himself. Yeah. yeah. Uh, people in the comics community give Barry a lot of flack because he is super boring in a lot of his comics. But Barry's death was I always thought really cool. Oh yeah. This is this is kind of, you know, awesome. Bittersweet and yeah, it's a good death. Yeah. So the anti-monitor is raging and everything and says that he is basically like, you will rue the day, effectively, mm-hmm. for the heroes. And all that's left of Barry Allen, Flash, is his suit and his and his ring. Mm-hmm. So we go to the anti-monitor who has now decided that he's going to do things the quick way, which is going to be just absorbing a bunch of planets from the antimatter universe. And just eat up all their energy. And since, like, everything's made of antimatter, he basically just kills a bunch of people from the antimatter universe and a bunch of worlds to sort of power himself to shoot antimatter at the remaining universes. Right. And he clearly talks about how he knows that there's millions of worlds and tons of people living on all of them, and they just have to sacrifice themselves for him. Yep. He's a, he's a bad, bad boy. Mm-hmm. So then we go to Earth-1, where we see the Challengers of the Unknown, who are more Kirby creation superheroes. Well, they're not really superheroes. They're kind of like Johnny Quest-esque explorers, where they, they're like weird explorers. And they're chilling out in Challenger Mountain. Yeah, they got their own mountain. They have a mountain called Challenger Mountain. And uh, they're picking up some weird signals that seem like... Like an agonizing scream that is permeating the entire universe. Mm-hmm. So as they hear this agonizing scream, they try to figure out what it is. But the answer lies not here on Earth or even in this universe. Yeah, outside the universe where we see the Spectre, who is the incarnation of God's vengeance. That's his whole deal. But he is screaming in anguish and rage because he kind of... Well, the, the whole deal is he knows what's coming, which is... The anti-monitor, he's he's back at it. Mm-hmm. 
And we have a little memorial to the Flash on this last page. Yeah, 1956 to 1985. Mm -hmm. And a little quote from William Knox in 1824. Oh, why should the spirit of mortal be proud? Like a fast flittering meteor, a fast flying cloud, a flash of lightning, a break of the wave, he passes from life to his rest in the grave. Right, which is especially suits the flash mm-hmm. which is where we get the title a flash of the lightning mm-hmm. and then that's that's the end of this issue mm-hmm. but we get a little preview of what's next at last the villain war well are we ready for accolades accolades all right what is your best line christy so my best line, it requires a little bit of setup, and we you, you kind of already touched on it a little bit, but it's when my, Martian Manhunter is talking to Firehawk, and mm-hmm. he says, Firehawk, your flame may prove a problem. And she's like, all right, Firestorm told me about your vulnerability to fire. Don't worry. When I want to, my fire is more bark than bite. And so she's being all clever, and he's like, still, I prefer some distance between us. <laughs> I yeah. just love that, like, I know you're trying to be all friendly and sort of flirty and have this sort of bubbly personality, but just please step back and stay away from me. <laughs> yeah. So my best line is is kind of a is kind of a gimme, which is when the flash says, eat jello. Oh, that's a pretty good one. It's so ridiculous when when he spins around out of the gelatin prison and it's flying everywhere and <laughs> eat jello. Yeah. Maybe not the uh the super cool line that it was intended to be. <laughs> All right. So greatest hero, I'm sure we have a daily double. Yeah, it's hard to give it to anybody other than Barry Allen in this particular issue. Right. When you have a superhero that knowingly sacrifices their life to save the universe, mm-hmm. like it's kind of hard not to not to give them greatest hero in right. that issue. I almost was reticent though because of how murdery he seemed for a little bit there. Well, he's pretty mad. It was it was righteous anger. It was. It was. Mhm. So, yes, definitely Barry Allen as Flash, greatest hero, daily double. All right. And then coolest moment. I don't know about you, but my coolest moment ties in with Greatest Hero. I mean, Uh, there's like eight pages of Barry. Yes. Yes. I really liked, I mean, I liked a lot of the pages. It was hard for me to pick one. Mm -hmm. But I enjoyed the depiction of him running circles around the antimatter in the antimatter cannon. Mm -hmm. Just, I thought it was just drawn very beautifully. And kind of a fun, tense moment as he thinks about all the family and everybody that he's leaving behind, but to save them. Yeah. Yeah. That was a pretty, pretty cool moment. Uh, my coolest moment also has Barry, but it is Barry zipping between the Thunderers and them all yelling death to the monitor. That's pretty fun. Yeah, that was some. I, I thought that was some cool comics layouts, especially the way it was zipping between the panels and everything. Yeah. Uh, it was really cool. Well, I mean, a lot of the stuff Barry did was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So we kind of had to give it to a Barry-related moment in Crisis Issue 8. Mm-hmm. I feel like the rest of this comic was just little bits of, like, story that just kind of got in the way of this awesome. <laughs> <laughs> right. If this comic was made today, that'd be a whole issue. 
Right. They they would make it like very because they the comics you know are a little more decompressed than they mm-hmm. used to be. It would that would, it'd be a whole issue of very zipping and grabbing right which is probably why it feels that way for me to read it now it's just you know every issue of crisis and even with secret wars just just a different time where everything was just jam-packed yeah for sure i feel like when we get to some of the um more contemporary crossovers we're probably going to have to cover more issues because there's just like less content i'm sure our readers will appreciate that yeah (laughs) i'm sure that everybody's you know if, if you're not a fan of fan of crisis you've been pretty bored yeah <laughs> thanks for sticking with us mm-hmm. uh so what about silly villainy i had to give the crusher creole award for silly villainy to dark side for his little monologue of silence your sniveling desaad i have already taken certain precautions that the monitor indeed possesses the power to destroy even a harsh apocalypse but i have diverted all of our energy to cloak our presence here really that the the, the I, I like the first part with the silence here sniveling. It was just, you know, it just seemed very Disney villain to me, and I appreciated it. <laughs> he, which is, it's interesting. I've, I don't know enough about Darkseid to know if that's in character, but it did seem kind of purple. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it was very over the top. My Crusher Creel Award for silly, silly Villainy goes to the Anti-Monitor for being weirdly obsessed with outer casings. <laughs> he was talking about how my outer casing got destroyed and I had to make this new weird sharky torpedo outer casing. And then when the flash blows up the outer case, like the outer casing of the cannon, he's uh. like, oh, the outer casing. I'm like, dude <laughs> needs to make like a couple layers of casings if he is so concerned about the outer casing. Right. Like, where's the inner casing? Because I don't think there was one. We need like a couple layers of casings for anti-monitor related stuff because outer casing middle casing inner casing he gets so antsy about it (laughs) i was like man this guy talks about outer casing a lot of times more times than i was really expecting all right so i guess this wraps up episode eight of chris's on infinite earths covering issue eight of crisis on infinite well it's not our eighth episode well it's our eighth episode of our second season true it's called episode eight yeah that is true (laughs) all right so as always readers you can find us on twitter or facebook at chris's pod you can email us at chris's on infinite earths at gmail.com you can review us on itunes or all of your favorite pod things if you give us a five-star review we will shout you out on the show I have actually checked recently to make sure that no one had left one in our absence. You know, we haven't had a whole lot recently. I know we've been not quite as uh, as every two weeks as we once were. Yeah. Hey, readers, life gets real busy as a teacher. Yeah. If you ever want a job with a lot of free time. Not it. Not, not it. Not it. But we are going to finish up our crisis coverage by the end of April. We kind of have no choice in the matter. Mm -hmm, Because I'm super pregnant. Yeah, that's when our kid's going to be born, uh, end of April, early May. So we are probably going to take somewhat of a little break. I'm still kind of trying to decide if I'm going to make some content for you guys, independent of Christy. Mm -hmm. Uh, which probably sounds awful to most of you. Mm -hmm. And if I happen to find a lot of downtime before then, I may record some fun bits for you, for for Chris to integrate into some future episodes, some little segments or something. Right. However, I will leave all of the editing to Chris, which if you didn't know, readers, 
I I edit and produce all of our episodes. Yes, Christy is our, our fearless editor, whereas I, I, I handle more of the social media sides of things. Um, but her job is very difficult, and she is a perfectionist in every best sense of the word, so she does such such a good job editing, and our podcast would sound like such garbage without her doing it. Those are exactly the comments I was hoping to hear right there. Good job. <laughs> All right, well, hopefully in the next couple weeks or so, we will have issue nine ready for you guys to read. Well, to listen to readers, reading, listening. They are the readers that listen to our podcast. That is true. (laughs) And until next time. Slay your enemies and all you desire shall be yours.